Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right, so what makes a great story? Well, we both like to read a lot. And, um, okay, I have to I have a confession because I have a, quite a few books that I start. <laughs> and um, I get about a page... Uh, about 40 or 50 and then I start another book. So I'll have several books going at one time. Yes. And, um, I, I think I've told you this story, but I just remember one time on my, on my bookcase, I had on my books and I generally would put a little marker. A little, yeah. And cause I intend to come back to them, but I get somebody else recommends a book or right. whatever. And this is, I still do this even though I read a lot on Kindle now, but this is like, you know, the hard copy. So wait, even on Kindle, you'll go to yeah. like page yeah. 40, 50. Yeah. And, then, and I don't yeah. know why it always ends up. It's like, page 40 or 50. It's like, if I look back, I'm like, wow, that is really yeah. my landing spot. And so I just remember this one time, my husband is doing like working on some stuff and he was looking for a book and I'm like, Oh, I have that book. It's on my bookcase, you know? So he goes to my bookcase and he starts looking at all these books and he sees all these little tabs sticking up <laughs> and he starts opening them up and they're all on about page 40 to 50. And so he kind of gives me that look and he calls me over and he goes, I have a question for you. Okay. And he's like, um, do you ever see the two words, the end on a book? And I'm like, yes. He goes, well, you have little tabs at between 40 and 50 on all these books. I just was wondering if you ever really get through a book. They're all dog-eared. Till yes. And through. so, I, you know, it's one of those I'm like, huh, I really do do that. But you know what? When you ask me what makes a great story, it's when I really do get to the end and I see the two mm-hmm. little words, the end, and I don't want it to end. Yes. That's when I know I'm in a great story and I'm like, no, don't take me to the end of the book. I want more. I'm so involved in the story. So yes. that's a very long answer to a short question. <laughs> so that's what makes a great story. But before we get too much farther into our show and talking about all things stories, we want to remind you that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's shows and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So, and, and that, that was almost like a question mark. Follow us on Facebook. I will follow you on Facebook and Twitter. Well, okay. So I, I want to go back to this on uh, what makes a, a great story because um, I think it's interesting how even just now you were telling me about going through your books halfway through. I know that about you. And yet I was still leaning in and so intrigued to your story as if it, it was the first time. Yesterday, a new revelation about yes, me. Yesterday I went and worked out with my uh, workout partner, Jackie. And every time I see her, she's also an avid reader. And she'll give me an average of like three books, you know, it, it just continuously. And... um it's funny because as now there's so many choices because, you know, I do a lot on audio, so I don't necessarily read as much actual book books as much as I listen to the books, but, um, I'm starting to become that way. And before I heard you say that about you go halfway through a book, I remember looking at you going, that is so foreign to me because 
I have to read all the way through the book. Like I want to know that I got the full capacity, full potential. I didn't miss any poignant ideas that, you know, I'm all in. And now that you're just hit with so many different books, if I'm not completely riveted, yes, where I'm so motivated to, because usually I can't put a book down. I just want to keep, you know, following it through. And so I'm starting to become more like that. Like even, even on our team with Cakes of Love, where we were reading, uh, and you and I both love Brene Brown, but I think it was Daring Greatly. We told the team, we're all going to read the same book. And then when we, you know, the first 10 minutes of when we meet up, we're going to discuss this book, et cetera. And I think after the first couple months, everybody, and we love that, that, that book's a great book, but it just slowly all of a sudden went to the wayside. And I wonder why, why that happens, even though we love listening. To I her. actually saw that book to the end because I loved that book. You so, did see it to the end. I we did. just quit I talking it. about it, I guess, in our, yeah, because I love that book, but you know what, you know, it's a, we, and you're a good, and here's the thing. We know that stories stick, yeah. and, you know, and, and to tell a compelling story moves people. You know, it's a great way to cast vision and to do all that stuff. And, um, you know, when you have a, I know that I've, I've heard a good story. I've read a good story or I've seen a good story, like in a movie when I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. And I'm still thinking about it the next day or a week you know, later. Yeah. Referring back to where it still stays with me. I know it's a good story because it, right. it, it captured, it got to my soul, got deeper inside of me. Than just glazing over. I think it's funny when you um, are reading a book or you're watching a movie and you're not completely riveted. And, and someone asks you, oh, what'd you think about that? And you're like, it's okay. But then you can't stop thinking about it. Have you ever had yeah. that? Where, you know, two weeks later, you're still going back to, or you're talking certain stories or certain specific, you know, things that took place. And then you have to reevaluate and go, okay, maybe that had a bigger impact on me than I thought it did. Well, and when you read a book, and when I know that it's based on a true story, I really lean oh, yeah. in because you're like, okay, this is, I, 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 but I, you know, I love all different stories I and mean, people that you can really use your imagination and capture in words. But when it's a, a true story, there's something about that because we, we find mm-hmm. inspiration from somebody else. We find maybe courage to go on. It, it just inspires us. It motivates us. And it, I mean, stories are just powerful. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, recently when I, um, well, just last week, you know, I've been, I've been on this traveling thing. And so last week, we, this past week, just got home yesterday, um, we were in Nashville and um, we were spending some time with Dave Ramsey organization, which amazing talking stewardship and just with a bunch of amazing people. And they, uh, we went to a dinner and they had three Nashville songwriters. Now, as you remember, you and me traveled to Nashville a couple of times and I always own Nashville because <laughs> yes, I do. love it. I always yeah. tell, I always tell my husband like, okay, I'm a native of Phoenix and live here in my life, but I could live in Nashville. There's just something about it that just yeah. intrigues me. And so when we traveled there, I'm like, I own Nashville. It's, it's the yes, city. You, did. I, you owned it. And, um, so anyway, we, and I'm more, I have some country in my background and you are the rock and roll. So we're really like the Donnie and Don yeah. Marie, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. And, um, I, so we have these songwriters and it was amazing. Cause I always think of you laughing, going, Oh, there's the country. And, um, but these are three, three guys that are songwriters in Nashville and they got up and they kind of performed for us, but they, what they did was so amazing is they would tell the story behind the song that they had written. And they would say, okay, I wrote this song and, and, and 
they were songs that we, we all would know. They were songs that Garth Brooks has recorded, that Blake Shelton, that Brad Paisley, that so many people. Wow. They're very, mm-hmm. they're songs that are on the radio. And you're like, wow, that's the guy that wrote that song. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating to go, okay, I know that song. is a, You know, they're very And you always like the songs. background. I do. And so to, they would sit up there and each one would take a turn and they would share where the story came from and how they wrote it. I was sitting in a living room and I was stuck and then my friend came over and then he had this idea and then we just kept going and, and then we ended up with this, this song. And then, you know, my wife said, you want to pitch that to, to Garth Brooks? And I'm like, nah, I don't think so, whatever. And then she insisted and he's like, I threw this out there. I sent it to Garth Brooks and within 30 minutes, he's like, yes, let's do it. Wow. And, you know, so it's, it's just so cool to hear the yeah. background because we always hear the finished product. Yeah. And that's how it is with so many things. People's, even people's lives. And you also want to know, like, did he save that email? Is that email somewhere like printed in a frame or something? Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's, it's fascinating to hear the stories that, that created the song that we are now hearing because that's why I love reading, um, biographies because we see the person and their greatness and we're reading about them because they did something so amazing. But when you really start diving into their life, you, you hear all the challenges and obstacles they had overcome to get to it. And it wasn't just this finished product. Well, that's like, I was telling you, Alexander Hamilton, who's on our $10 bill, my kids are so enamored with, cause it's this, you know, Broadway play now. It's a blockbuster. And yeah. I think it's sold out for the next three years. It's just crazy in New York. But, and who would have thought Alexander Hamilton, yes. of all things, would have been such a hit? Well, and you hear of Aaron Burr, you hear of Thomas Jefferson, but you don't hear as, as much as Alexander you know, Hamilton. And so my son is reading this like 800-page book, and he is with the story. He's coming and telling me you know, about their duels with Aaron Burr and, and just loving the story about Alexander Hamilton. So it is interesting to get the background so much to the point that he enjoyed this, this book, this biography, that he um, went and now is reading the George Washington of the, from the same, you know, author. So it, it's, it's interesting how much you can be drawn into the story and to the background, but I'm with you. If it is, um, a true story, it's fascinating to mm-hmm. find out how people, I guess that's why reality TV is so big. It's capturing our attention because we want to see how other people live. Cause you, you look at your own life and you're like, okay, this is normal to me, but is mm-hmm. this really normal? Yeah. And so when you start well, a lot of reality TV is not normal. <laughs> so I'm not, not that you base it, but it, we're always intrigued behind the scenes and what, you know, the rest of the story and what really is going on. Yeah. And so we're intrigued to live through other people's stories, right. too. Which is really sad sometimes because we stop living our life to sit in front of, as my dad, you know, would say, the it, it sucks the brain out of, or it sucks. What does it suck? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to let you finish that one. It sucks I don't know everything going. out of your brain. But, you know, it, you, you, it's the idiot tube, you used to call it. And yet we will do that. We'll stop doing our life so we can engage and just stare at somebody else's life. And what value does it really bring to you mm-hmm. when you're watching somebody else's life? We live vicariously through other people so many times that we stop 
creating and living our own life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a challenge. It's like, what, what story are you telling with your life? Yeah. What story are you engaging with? And because every story matters and every story can make a difference. And so that's our challenge today. Well, uh, we're going to, you know, we're excited because in our next segment, we're going to be taking a break here. And um, we have Jennifer Meyer, who's going to be joining us, who has an amazing story because she's lived overseas and he's Africa. She's seen some of the, you know, behind the scenes mm-hmm. things that are very difficult to see sometimes, but has provided hope and solutions. And she has written a book that teaches. So through story, she's teaching real life. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear Jennifer's story. And I know it'll be compelling and engaging and it'll challenge us to change and to see our own world around us a little differently. Absolutely. So we'll be right back with Jennifer Meyer. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Back pain can really be a bother. Men's Health Magazine states that 80% of all men suffer from back pain. One of the best things you can do to ward off lower back problems is strengthen your abdominal muscles. 75% of all lower back problems can be prevented by building your ab muscles. When your abs are weak, The muscles in your buttocks and the back of your legs, your hamstrings, have to work harder to keep your spine stable. One of the easiest abdominal exercises is crunches. Keep your low back on the floor at all times. Squeeze your abdominals as you crunch up and lower slowly in a controlled manner. You can do several sets of crunches every day to strengthen your abs and beat back pain. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. Well, joining us now is our special guest, Jennifer Myrie, who serves as a doctor in East Africa, where she has worked alongside her husband, Dr. Scott Myrie, for more than two decades. She earned her medical degree from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and completed her pediatric training at Northwestern University's Children's Memorial Hospital, and she also received a master's in public health degree from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. 
Jennifer works in the hospital, which provides health care in the name of Jesus to the vulnerable people of East Africa. She has given a special focus in her work to HIV prevention and nutrition and has invested heavily in training emergency leaders. Jennifer is currently spending one year living and traveling in the U.S., telling others about her work in Africa, and she and her husband have four children, all of whom attend universities in the States. So welcome, Jennifer. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. So you are like um, college poor right now with four children in the university. (laughs) (laughs) One's in medical school and three are in college. We had our kids pretty close together. Wow. 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 I have two in college right now, and... Uh, yeah, we're re- we're really excited that they're both graduating in May, and uh, hopefully we can start breathing a little bit until I, four more years, and then I have another one going in. So, where is your one going to medical school? Um, he's going to University of Virginia, ah, in Charlottesville. We we are we we've lived overseas for the last twenty two years, but our original residency was in Virginia, so that's his um, in state place, and it's a great school. So he's kind of following kind of the family because you and your husband um, have served as medical missionaries, like you said, for over 20 years. Um, and so your children, that's probably all they know, watching all of that, that. That's exciting when you see your children starting to kind of follow in those footsteps. Does, does, that, does he have a desire to go overseas? Uh, yeah, I think all of them really want their lives to be about um, blessing people in places where they're most needed, and he definitely sees himself working overseas if he can swing it. That's that. That truly is amazing because you see so many people and even kids that come back that want to have nothing to do with going back on the field, and for your kids to, to have seen and to really embrace that calling and that vision. So, you know, living as Patty and I have been overseas, we've been in, in Africa and, and Kenya and different places, and you really, you really have to go to a place like that to really understand. I mean, mm-hmm. just walk among the people, walk, you know, just be that. But to live there for 20-some years, how did you and your husband decide that that was really the calling God had placed on you and that that's where you needed to serve using your, you know, your medical expertise? Uh, well, for me, I, when I was really pretty young, eight years old, I heard a woman speak who was a missionary doctor in Kenya. She was a Dutch lady. And I just felt like in that minute, God told me that's what I want you to do. Um, I didn't have any doctors or missionaries or even anybody who probably had left the state almost in my family. And um, that's how I went through school, thinking that that was my calling. For Scott, it was more... Um, when we were in college, we were in a church that was very globally minded and aware of the world. And that was at a time when Uganda was just emerging from Idi Amin and uh, it was a time of rebuilding and they were quite involved there. So um, putting those pieces together is sort of how we ended up on the border between Uganda and Congo. Mm. Um, just, you know, the, the doctors, <laughs> I know a lot of places in the States need doctors, but the ratios um, of America to the state to Africa, there's about 100 to 1,000 times more need there. Wow. Okay, so you, you've been here, you know, all these years in East Africa. When you come back to the States, it seems like uh, at one point Lisa and I were talking to a gentleman that said, you know, so many times when missionaries come back, we like to give them 
counseling, have them, you know, see a psychologist. And he made the comment, you know, why, why would you do that? They have to be a little bit crazy (laughs) to be over there for so many years. Why do we want to make them normal? So I, I always love that because yes, you, you have to be just crazy in love with Jesus um, to, you know, have your arms and your hands open wide to surrender all. So my question would be, as you come back to the States, do you feel that you need to talk to somebody? Do you feel that there's such a culture shock when you come back and you realize, okay, this is what's significant now when I sit around with my girlfriends, um, versus what you've been doing in East Africa? Well, we have, our mission is very, um, proactive with counseling and we really believe in it and just even in peer counseling with each other. So I think strong relationships in the community of our mission helps me because I can talk to, you know, my colleagues, um, deeply about the challenges of living overseas and the challenges of being transitional and moving back and forth. Um, we also use a, an organization in Colorado called Mission Training International MTI, and we've been through their debriefing program twice. Um, one time we had just evacuated because of a war, and it was a pretty stressful um, story, and so we went to that. And then another time just, you know, just to, for good spiritual care, <clears throat> spiritual care and mental health. Okay, I have to, you said you were you were living like on the kind of the border of Uganda and, and the Congo. Those are not known as being like, you know, very friendly places. Uh, and, you know, when you say those, it's, it's like a lot of people, it evokes fear. Like there's no way I would even go visit, much less live there. And, and yet, you know, as even as believers, it's like, do we want to live dominated by fear or do we want to go, no, you know, I, I, I'm called by God. And so when you're called and this is where I need to be you, you go and you, you know, you don't look at all of that, but yet a lot of people don't understand that. So can you explain like, what would it, what was it like? And you had four children over there. So a lot of people look at you and go, why would you take your children to a very kind of hostile place that has been, that has not been known for being peaceful and being at rest? How did you, how did you communicate that to other people? And how was that for you? Like just, um, realizing all of that and managing that tension and living in that? Well, I think one thing I really noticed when you're out of American culture and you come back into it is that our our culture has become very safety obsessed and really elevated safety to be almost like a, a virtue or a value that we hold. And I don't think that safety is a, a high virtue or value that we see in scripture, certainly following God's will, laying down our lives to bless other people, um, loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving God with all our heart. Those are values that we see in the Bible, um, but protecting ourselves and, and choosing what we think will be the most comfortable lifestyle for us and our children really isn't. Um, but that, that aside, I have to say, Uganda is actually a very friendly place. Um, Maybe not so much Eastern Congo, but Ugandans are extremely hospitable, extremely warm, extremely open um, where we were. Um, we were um, very happy to live there, but we did have several, um, well, a lot of times uh, insecurity because of rebel kind of warfare across the border and because of diseases like Ebola and 
just because of the poverty around us um, and the isolation, it was a hard place to live. Um, but I, I think that if you asked our kids or anybody on our team, um, they would say that they would not choose to live somewhere else. They really love living there. Mm. Okay. I just, I have a crazy question for you. Did you by any chance see the movie, The Machine Gun Preacher? I have. You have? I have okay. Yes. Okay. I, I know it's The not- guy is South Sudan. In South Sudan. He's in South Sudan. And, well, he's in dealing with South Sudanese people and he has a place in, in Northern Uganda that works in South Sudan. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's not something you would recommend, I think sometimes because of the language, but I found that movie fascinating. Uh, Gerard Butler plays Sam Childers and, uh, just how they're helping the orphan children of Eastern Africa. And, uh, just talking about the, the culture shock once again of him coming back to the United States and, you know, going to a party where they're spending, you know, $5,000 on alcohol when he's thinking what $5,000 can do for the orphanage. Uh, do you ever feel that way when you see the, the difference of the cultures? No, I, I, I really pray against that because I'm a pretty judgmental person by nature. And I think God's really doing that in my heart to help and soften it and to realize that everybody's making hard choices and um, really God doesn't have a, a report card where missionaries are getting higher grades than other people. That's not the way God works. He loves all of us. And I think the the first time we came back to the States for a furlough, I was really worried about feeling that way. And actually, I just felt overwhelmed because I found that life here was so complicated. And so I'd never, all of my children were, you know, raised overseas and living back in the States for a year with kids. Um, this was about 15 years ago, was really complicated and challenging. And I found it that I was um, humbled by it, actually. Well, um, it it is complicated and challenging, like you said, (laughs) and such a learning curve. And and, um, I mean, it's just such a different environment. I I do travel overseas and I'm always just intrigued with culture and, and even the resilience of the human spirit and what people go through and live through. And when you said earlier about how even as Americans, we value safety so much, it is such a strong value in our culture and you don't realize it until you get out in other cultures. And, and then we allow that to come into our own um, view of God and our own, how we, how we live our lives, our, you know, our Christian our Christianity. And we base it more on that. And instead of getting out there and just living, you know, and, and going to places that others, it seems risky and, we let fear stop us so many times from really embracing some amazing opportunities that God would call us into and do. Um, so I, I, it's intriguing to hear these stories and do that. Well, we're going to have to take a break in, in about a minute. But you have written a book, um, A Chameleon, A Boy, and a Quest, and which it was through story. We were talking earlier, Patty and I were just the power of story and how stories stick. And stories are just an amazing and a compelling way to capture people's attention and to even move people into action. But you wrote this story, if I understand, for your children and and just to help them understand. But it's such a great way for us to understand kind of life over there and, and a message that we need to hear. We get so much in our comfort zones and kind of in our own bubbles. And, and we need to be challenged to think outside of our own 
our own culture and our own Christian lens. And so when we come back, I want to, we want to talk to you a little bit more about this book, a, a Chameleon, A Boy, and a Quest, and just the story of that and the characters and how you've told this amazing story of life over there through the story of books. So we'll be right back with our guest, Jennifer Myrie, and talking about just her amazing adventures that God has given her. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Find yourself trying to concentrate at the office, and the person at the next desk is so distracting, humming, mumbling to themselves, drumming their fingers, maybe tapping their pencil? Did you know there is a word for someone who drones on, hums, and distracts nonstop? They are called bombolators. My husband is a classic bombolator. Whenever I find a quiet place in the house and try to read a book, that's when he'll enter the room and come up with all kinds of things to bother me. He'll pace back and forth, turn on the TV, start digging through drawers like he's lost something, and most famously, start talking to himself. I usually put up with it for a while before turning into a Rixatrix. That's a nasty old lady who's scolding and just can't be bothered. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are back with Jennifer Myrie, who serves as a doctor with Surge in East Africa, where she has worked alongside her husband, Dr. Scott Myrie, for more than two decades. And Jennifer, we went off track on everything we could possibly talk about besides talking about your new book, um, that A Chameleon, A Boy, and A Quest. So you need to tell us a little bit more about this exciting book. And first of all, what made you go from doing all of this in the medical field to writing this book? Well, I didn't stop doing my medical work at all. This was something that I wrote like at nighttime and <laughs> spare minutes here and there um, for my kids. I really wanted them. They, they were great readers, and yet I didn't have any books for them that were really set in their context. 
And I also didn't have a way to really get Christmas presents. So I would work during the year writing of them a book. And then we would start reading it on Christmas Eve and read it through the, the week of Christmas to New Year's. And we did this for about four years. So we, they, I have a set of four books and it was just a family thing. And then a, a couple years ago, we were um, introduced to someone who's a publisher at New Growth Press. And they said, oh, send them to me. Maybe we'd be interested. And they decided they'd like to publish them. That was fun. That's got to be surreal. It's like it's kind of like I don't know if you've read the book The Shack, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. started that. It was a story for his kids, same thing for Christmas, mm-hmm. and then it you know exploded. People started reading it. Other family members and like, okay, you've got to publish this. And so it is amazing how God takes something that we just like, okay, we're, we're this is just like a little gift for somebody, and then God multiplies it. So um, that's very cool. But you. You use these characters in the book, and how did you come up with this title? And and I mean, what were you wanting your kids? Like, what was the purpose? And, and other readers, like, what do you want them to walk away with reading this book? Yeah, I want them to see that that even though evil is real and really um, horrible things happen in our world, that it's not the it's part of our story, but it's not the end of the story. That there's redemption, that there's hope, and there's a strong theme in this book of um, sacrifice. There's a character that really um, gives a shadow of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And there's also an aspect of um, kind of making choices. And sometimes those are wrong choices or bad choices or things people get hurt from our choices, but they're still redeemed. Mm. And how did, what was the response, like even as your kids, as you're reading it? What, I mean, what a cool kind of tradition to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to start at Christmas time and tell the story. What kind of response did your kids and how did they engage in that story and respond to it? Oh, yeah. I mean, they loved it. I always try to end the chapters with something that makes you want to read the next one. So mm-hmm. they would um, be pushing us along and they're, they've enjoyed the books all along. Yeah. Well, you did, a, when you were over there in Africa, you did a lot with helping to train um, leaders and other people on the issues of like HIV prevention and nutrition. Why did you see that that was so important? Because that, that is a topic we hear about and you, you know, and, but in the, in the time that you were over there, it was really kind of coming front and center in our, in our, just our awareness. Yeah, we were, we were in Uganda in the nineties when the epidemic was at a peak and um, we worked before there was widespread availability of antiretroviral drugs. So, Really, the only way to attack was prevention, and the um, Uganda had a pretty um, aggressive and successful campaign for abstinence and be faithful and use condoms. And those those principles really lend themselves towards the gospel because you can't do those things without Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart. And they also address family and family dynamics, and you know, with nutrition and HIV, there's a lot about the marriage and the husband and the wife and faithfulness and truthfulness and the way they use their resources. So a lot of opportunity to combine medical care and spiritual care in those topics. You know what I find fascinating and I find very encouraging and inspiring is, like you said, you were, you know, in the 90s, it, when, we, when you talked of HIV back in the 90s, it, it evokes a very different emotion than when you bring up the word HIV today. Because back then, it, it was like you thought of death and certain death and it was very a lot of fear around it and this still is not a good thing by any means but we have come so far and like you said in the prevention and and kind of the cure and tackling it 
But in, in back in that time, it, it seemed so daunting and overwhelming. And it was everywhere, like you said, in, on mass scale. And it's like, can we even make a difference with this? You know, what, what does that look like? And it had to be from that point of view, when you're at the, at the beginning, looking into this daunting task, it's like, will we ever be able to make a dent in this? And, and here we are sitting 20 years later, 20 some years later going, wow, we have made huge strides in, and, you know, creating solutions and prevention. And it's not quite the issue that it was. And I just, I find that very encouraging because it's easy to look at issues in our times, like example, the refugee crisis and different things and go, is there hope? Is can we really make a difference in this? Can we really be a part of solutions? And I think stories like this do say that, you know, God is still working and God is doing amazing things. And yes, we can still make a difference. And so I think sometimes people tend to sit on the sidelines and goes, I, there's nothing I can do to make a difference. And this thing is just going to be big. And so they do nothing. How would you speak into people about that from just your experience with the whole HIV and nutrition point of view? Well, I think God calls us to be faithful in this little area where we are, um, like using our talents, uh, the parable of the talents, and that, like you said in your introduction, it reminded me of also of the story of Jesus with the bread and the fish multiplying them, like a small thing can be multiplied to bless many people. And we may not see, we may not live to see the the outcome of everything that we're working for today, and we have to be content to just be faithful and um, trust that God has has a bigger picture in mind. Uh, you know, our stories are fitting into a bigger, a much bigger story of redemption of the whole world, and we just see a little slice of it. And and that's a great perspective we need to have, that, that but instead of doing nothing, because we think we can't, just do let your story be a part of a bigger story and see that God is at work and he's doing something amazing, though we can't see it. But our story does matter in the in the bigger story. And we need to step in and do something. Uh, and, you know, going back to what you said earlier is how in our culture we value safety so much, but we also value you know, so many other things like our comfort and, and, and our convenience. And so we let those things sometimes, and, and we're, we're dominated by fear. Uh, we live a lot with that. And so we let those things kind of dominate and kind of control how much we get involved and, and what our engagement looks like. And even our belief in how big God really is. Do we really believe he is big and bigger than the, than the problems and that he is still working his story is still working. And so I think it's a challenge for each one of us to go, what is my part in something? And, you know, for you guys, it was like, okay, I'm called over here and engaged in this. And even the HIV prevention and the nutrition part of it. And then, you know, here, here you are writing stories. And so what is your message today? I, it's got to be a little different after all of this experience that you've had over there. So what is the message you want people to hear just from your life and what you've experienced and even with your children? Well, from our life, I hope that they just see God's mercy and faithfulness, that um, we've been through a lot, but God has preserved us and that he does care about what's happening in the whole world and not just in the little places that we can see um, right around us. Um, I think what, that's one of the powers of a book is that it really can help people have empathy for a area of the world and people that are, are totally outside of their experience because the problems that um, like the book deals with, like the, the main character 
ends up um, kind of being child trafficked and ends up in a rebel group and, you know, has a lot of challenges in his life. And these are not just isolated incidents that happen to a, a few kids here and there. They're huge issues in our world. And yet, if we can put a face on them and a story behind them, perhaps we can open our hearts to feel about them the way that God does. Well, it's interesting because you you had your kids, you raised your kids and in kind of extreme circumstances, many of us would look at. And we are so um, wired to protect our children from seeing those things and to being mm-hmm. a part of that. I mean, we go to great lengths to protect our children. We don't want to see, we don't want to be exposed to that or see that. And yet your kids lived among that and saw, like you talked about, the rebels and the, the trafficking and all that. How did you parent through that, um, knowing that your children were exposed to things that the average you know, American child has no clue and that we would go, no, I don't want my child to see that. But yet through that, you, you parented and what, what did that look like? And how well, did you- I think kids need to, they need to know about evil, but they need to know about it in a context, first of all, that clearly distinguishes this is good and this is evil. So we're not just pretending that everything's okay and that there's no difference between child trafficking and, you know, something else. We are, so we call evil evil, but then they also need to experience that in a context where they personally feel safe and secure within their family, and they know that they're part of an organization that's fighting against these things, and they know that God doesn't is not pleased with them, and that um, we're moving, as we said, in, in God's bigger story towards the time when everything will be redeemed. So I think they get some security um, from knowing the bigger picture of what's happening, and it's not really doing them a service to pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Mm. And that's a great way of doing that. And how have you seen that this is really, we only have a couple minutes. Um, and again, before I get too far, I just, we want to thank you for just being a part of our show and sharing your story and writing a story to tell the story that really is a, you know, it's a great way to frame this message and, and to create awareness and to educate people um, and it's a powerful way to do that. So, you know, we encourage our our listeners to get your book, A Chameleon, A Boy, and a Quest, and 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 just to become more aware. And I think that's so good for us, even as Americans, to get out of our culture, out of our comfort zone, to see what so much of the world does look like and live with. But what is what is in the last few seconds that we have? What is one more thought that you would love our listeners to be aware of or to take away from your book? Um, I guess I'd like them to also think of uh, kids needs to, the kids who are living in those difficult circumstances also need stories. They need to be able to connect to God's bigger story. They need to know that um, that love is the final um, solution. And I think that by educating themselves about kids in other parts of the world, their heart will grow towards that. And it's also just a fun story. So um, it's a good read. It's a page turner for kids. So it's not um, too heavy or too bleak, um, and I think people will enjoy it. So I will see the words, the end, at the end of the story. <laughs> yes, you will. It'll be a page turner. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us and, and, and being faithful and obedient to what God has placed All in right, your All right, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back after a quick break. Bye.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's marching I just love the warning labels companies attach to their products to prevent lawsuits. Apparently, they think we're a bunch of blunderbusses and poppin' jays. Here are a few of my favorites. A warning label on a mattress said, Do not attempt to swallow. In a manual for a chainsaw, Do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. On a toner cartridge for a laser printer, do not eat toner. What are we, part of the radiculi? On a bag of chips, you could be a winner. No purchase necessary. Details inside. Now that seems a bit hooky-crooky, don't you think? On the other hand, a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle noted on the box, some assembly required. Now that's pricknickety or above board. It's marching. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We have been sharing today what makes a great story. And we just left the last segment talking about God is doing amazing things and how we truly can make a difference. Uh, All God asks us to do is be faithful and how the small things can be multiplied, just like the story of the fish and the loaves of bread. Well, putting our story and fitting it into the bigger story um, and that story Talking about love is the final solution. And so this story, Lisa, I I already shared this with you. um, Just it was such a crazy thing that took place uh, just a couple months ago. Um, I went to a training conference and I had met a new acquaintance. I ended up calling her after the conference and just letting her know what a pleasure it was to meet her. And she ended up sharing with me a fantastic story that uh, she had really wanted to go to this training conference and was concerned about going and her her children are actually helping her financially. And uh, when she got there to the airport, uh, she decided to call an Uber driver. And this Uber driver, his name is Hamid, and he is on the show with us today. Hamid, how are you? Yeah, hi. Hi. Good, thank you. Yes, and Hamid, what's so funny about this is that you are so shy about this story, and I love it because you are saying it's not about me, it's all about God. But um, my my new friend Tracy started sharing with me that 
when the Uber driver picked her up, she shared her financial struggles. And um, as you took her from the airport to the hotel, you ended up telling her you would pick her up every day from the hotel and bringing her to the training conference as well as picking her up from the conference and bringing her back to the hotel at no charge. So for an entire week, you did this. She then went on to tell you that uh, she wanted to stay in a a hotel that wouldn't cost her so much uh, money on the last night. And when she went to go check out, you had paid for her last night there at the hotel. And I have to tell you, Hamid, as as Tracy was telling me this story, it blessed me um, just knowing that people like you are out there. And just as we were talking about that, they are doing amazing things through Christ and just being faithful to what God has asked us to do. So I was so blown away by the story that I said, Tracy, do you happen to have his phone number or his contact information? (laughs) And she said, yes. So I called you out of the blue and said, okay, Hamid, you probably think this is crazy, but I I heard this story and I said, I have to know, um, are you a believer? And from there, you had shared your story about being a Muslim and finding Christ. And so if you wouldn't mind sharing how you discovered Christ with all of our listeners right now. Yeah, um, first of all, uh, I have to tell you that this credit shouldn't go on me because uh, just uh, Jesus Christ. Mm. So uh, what I did is actually, uh, you know, is 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 nothing unusual. Uh, this is what Jesus uh, wants from us. Mm-hmm. Wow. She was she was uh, as a, a guest in in my town, and. Um, as Jesus said, you know, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So I couldn't actually let her. Um, I I knew that she has a financial problem, and uh, but you know uh, the only thing that I, I couldn't take her to my home because I had a guest. So the only thing that I could just help her in other ways. Uh, you know, and uh, you you mentioned that I am a little bit shy about that. Uh, that's because uh, Jesus said, when you uh, when your right hand help someone, your left hand shouldn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I didn't I didn't like it that uh, you know that anybody knows. Yes, I had to talk you into even being on the show because you wanted to give all the glory to God, and that's what. It, in doing that, though, it inspires others to go, what am I doing to, to really, truly listen to God's calling, um, just like we were talking about, to being faithful to what he's asking us to do. But I have to ask you, Hamid, how did you come to know Jesus? You told me a story of you were you were searching um, you were going through all different types of religion uh, books, religious books, and uh, how one night after your wife went to bed, what experience did you have happen to you? Yeah, as I as I told you earlier, uh, in a few weeks, a few weeks ago. So uh, I was 
Muslim, actually 53 years. And uh, uh, I was searching and, and looking for the truth. Uh, I almost read all books about any religion except uh, uh, Christianity. Uh, and uh, because my mom was very uh, religious, uh, so, and I grew up with, uh, you know, I played always with Christian people, uh, so my mother didn't like it, and, uh, you know, but I loved my, my friends, so, uh, you know, that was a conflict at that time between uh, my mom and me, uh, but, you know, um, there is nothing to do, you know, if you go out of the house, you can do whatever you you do, you know, and I was keep playing with them, but once was taboo actually for me to uh, go after Christianity. For some reason, I didn't search for that all my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, uh, in, in 2013, uh, on January 2nd, in 2.10 in the morning, uh, I was sitting in my living room, and, uh, and uh, my wife was actually tired. She went to bed. And I was sitting watching TV, and uh, after I, I turned off the TV, I want to go. Uh, I went to kitchen and, you know, to get a glass of water. And I was sitting on my chair in in uh, dining room, and uh, suddenly he was there. Uh, he was in my living room. Jesus was there, and he took me out of my body. I could see... And my body uh, um, left my uh, uh, left myself and and uh, went to the went to Jesus and and hugged him. While I was hugging him, I saw you know my body was uh, the great dots, uh, and these great dots while I was hugging Jesus uh, uh, was was uh, exchange between my. Uh, my, uh, you know, body, the, the gray dots, and the, uh, the sky. So I, I saw many dots coming to my, to my body and many dots going out. And uh, these last, I have no idea how long, probably 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I, I don't know. But uh, finally, he, uh, I came back to my body and, and Jesus was gone. And uh, actually, that was the beginning uh, of the everything. Wow. Um, well, we want to thank you, Hamid, for sharing that. I know so many times, as you and I talked, um, you had said, people just don't believe your story. But you feel that God gave you that story because he knew you would tell everyone um, how you discovered Jesus. And, uh, that's just, it's an exciting story. And, um, we just thank you for sharing that. And I know you had mentioned that through this hug, you also received knowledge of the Bible. And I think so many times as Americans, we hear the story and we have a tendency to yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet I know at least even in a lot of things that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, just within, in the Middle Eastern culture, there's so many visions, 
so many dreams that Jesus is real. And these, this is not just. And he reveals himself to people who want to see him and are open. Yeah, that's right. As you told, uh, you know, this, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't touch Bible uh, before that day in, in my entire life. The only, only times that I saw Bible that was in hotel rooms. And, the G- I, and, and I knew Jesus from the movies. And that's mm-hmm. all. And after that day, I, I am talking from the Bible. I know everything about the Bible. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, he gave it to me. This, that was the gift that he made at that night. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, you know, and, and the reason is, uh, is that what Jesus said, you know, ask and you will get the answer. You know, and and knock, knock on the door that will open for you. So that's, that's true. Uh, that's only possible if you really go after that. And I was. I was after the truth, and uh, I didn't give up. And that's why um, I got it. Well, Hamid, your story is very inspiring and encouraging because many times we put Jesus in a box, and we try to figure him out, and we try to make him fit our um, our belief system, and it doesn't work that way. Well, and we're continuously, I, I know I hear, I just don't experience Jesus, or I don't feel like Jesus is real in my life right now. And I love, Hamid, that you saw that Tracy was struggling, and you listened to God, that you really are being faithful. And it inspired me just to expect God to show up and know that he is putting people in your life. But if we're not listening, we're not gonna, going to really experience the full capacity of how God wants us to, this is, to live. This is right. You know, this is because because we are very selfish. We are uh, just uh, thinking on ourselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not on other people. And uh, But we forget, it's Jesus. The entire time that he was on the earth, if he would be one second on his life, selfish, he wouldn't be able to save our our life. Well, Hamed, we have got to go. Thank you for sharing your amazing story and your journey with Jesus. And you have inspired us all in our journey and to really see him for who he really is and that you loved. You did what Jesus did and you loved and you saw needs of others. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for joining our show. I hope you've all enjoyed and challenged to live your own story and see that your story matters. Have a great day. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 